Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to the Pet Peeves Podcast, episode 20, Hot 2-0, Vanthi, when we got the guest all the way from Los Angeles, California, my friend from a long time ago, Kat Dakari. Is it Dakari? I feel like I might yeah, be saying your last saying name wrong. Yeah, you're saying it right. Hi, happy new year. Happy new year. It's awesome. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I feel very honored to be on this podcast and I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, one of the few people that I met in LA that I've followed online and been proud of your progress and we've, you know, oh, kept in touch through Facebook yeah. and shit like that. But, you know, I've always felt really lucky to have been there when you first started doing stand up and just really proud of you for taking it to the next level and continuing on and making it through all the LA bullshit and still making progress like oh, steady steady progress and i think a lot of people are probably proud of you out there oh thank you so much for saying that um you know i always thought of you as like you were like one of the nicest and kindest people i met in la like in the la comedy scene i swear and you just like never like, changed you know from no, i appreciate that yeah so it's like and now you're married congratulations thank you so much shout out to my wife diana she was just sitting here on the couch with me and the reason why i'm 15 minutes late is because we passed out like oh, we ate no. real quick <laughs> we ate real quick and then she was just like like scratching my bald head which is like you know masturbation for a bald guy she's scratching oh my, my head and I, and I just knocked the fuck out and i was like oh shit i was supposed to be there 15 minutes ago but she's great she's supportive she's been sitting in the room staying quiet while i've been interviewing people for the last three days Aww. trying to get as many podcasts in before i go back to work now that's but, a wifey behind every strong great talented man is a great wifey that is like has your back like that and you're lucky to have if she goes she's lucky to have you you guys are lucky to have found each other absolutely she knows it i know it i remember when you first met her i remember we first started dating like i was just like wondering like how long is this you know is this gonna be like it seems serious so yeah i was telling her she was like who's cat and i was like you met her you met her at the the patio of the comedy store and she's like i don't remember and i was like yeah "Yeah, you met a lot of people yeah those are those were uh, <laughs> busy times, yeah. And she was, and she remembers very few people that I introduced her to, which is normal. Yeah. Uh, but she, she's like, I don't remember you introducing me to a lot of girls. I was like, well, because there's not that many girls in the comedy scene that hang out and are cool. Yeah. You know, a lot of girls that hang out, I wasn't that cool with. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard to be a male comic in that comedy scene and just be friends with female comics. It seems right. just not that. Right. It's not as easy as you would think it would be. Right. I mean, it's. It, it's for for a girl for me i find it for me personally in general whatever scene i'm in it's easier to be friends with guys it feels like i don't know there's a yeah, competition I, thing with women sometimes but i love guys are so chill i think they're just so drama free <laughs> well that's why i think i gravitated towards your comedy in the beginning because correct me if i'm wrong when you did your first set at the comedy store in the belly room for the show up go up was that your first set yeah, when I was at the, uh, the when I was at the yeah, you remember? Oh my god! Yeah, I remember was, because yeah. I I remember <laughs> talking to you and I think we were just like smoking weed on the back stairs and we were just and you were just super friendly and bubbly and really had good like friendly positive energy and I know that's such a cliche to say but it's the way I saw you and you were just like no I've never done stand up I've never done stand up and I want to do stand up and we were like well fucking go up there go up there go up there and you finally did 
and you were telling jokes about the last four guys you tried to sleep with couldn't get their dicks up. Ah, and they I, were Persian Jewish. Let me just let me just there put, it is. Put Persian that. dudes. Yeah, Persian Jewish dudes. That is a different Persian Jewish dudes. Different. And you were talking about it like I would imagine dudes talk about their sex lives on stage. Oh, and you really? were just so open and so honest, <laughs> and you were like laughing at your own jokes, and it was just really like endearing because I know. Most people on their first time, they're going to have no confidence. And you had a lot of confidence. Not that you thought you were super funny, but you were just happy to be up there. You just looked oh, happy. Oh, yeah. I, was, I, I remember that feeling. It's like, you know, when I think back to those uh, when I first met you the, around that time when I was like just starting. Um, I was so naive. When I think back, I'm like, oh, my God. I was like a little kid in a candy store. Just like, you know, just with so much enthusiasm and not at all like, you know, really like i like you in in that feeling like a kid you you're untouchable in a way because you don't yeah care. it's a little bit naive you know yeah it's it's it's, it's just naive being naive <laughs> but i i like that and then i saw you later when you were hosting shows at marty's and you had the same enthusiasm you were just happy to be there everybody was happy to see you you were, you were friends with a lot of people that i was friends with but you were brand new to the scene so it was like just good to see that people were supporting you and you were hosting shows at Marty's, which isn't easy. You know, it's not easy to host shows with a bunch of a bunch of comedians who think they're awesome or who are just fucked up or drunk or high and, you know, people going way over their time and, and stuff like that. And it was just like a host yeah. is a t- it's a tough job. And I saw you hosting at Marty's, which is a tough room. So I just thought that yeah. was really cool of you to like dive in head first into that I'm comedy world. I'm telling you, I was naive because <laughs> I swear when I started, I was like, no clue, no clue what the hell I'm doing, no clue what the hell is right or wrong. Like, you know, what people to talk to, what people not to talk to, what people to be friends with, what people not to be friends with. I was just going at it and like whatever hits, hits, whatever doesn't, doesn't. And yeah, it was a roller coaster being at Marty's because you have to break through some walls. There's a lot of people there and a lot of different cliques. And, right. and, um, but like I did it for two and a half years and it really felt like, you know, my night. It felt like I made it my own. You know, I brought that energy and people would be like, are you, are, are you on something? Like, what are you on? I'm like, yeah. I, I swear, this is just Red Bull or this is just coffee, <laughs> whatever, you know, caffeine I was on at the time. But, yeah. um, but no, that energy like really lights up for me on stage. I just love uh, connecting with people. So that that day that you were at the comedy store, that first time you did stand up, were you already into the improv, or you were just oh yeah, hadn't I had done, done anything yet? I had done improv before stand up for sure, and like improv, oh, okay. I actually I did some improv in high school, and then like real improv started studying at uh, UCB two years prior to seriously getting into improv. So I took some classes, wow. took a break for like two years and then did some jams because they have like their scene, you know, like how we have open mics. They have like their open mics. Uh, it's it's called improv jams. And yeah, I remember he, uh, Kenny Lyon used to try to yeah, get me to go, but I, yeah. I, nev- I never went one time. Oh man, if you're in LA, you should go. I'll take you guys. It's, it's well, a lot of I mean, fun. that's why I got you on the podcast because, like you saw, I'm oh, okay. gonna start taking improv classes for the first time, and I've yes, I've done improv I'm... like as a goof maybe five times in my life, uh, yes. and I'm pretty scared of it. To me, it's it's pretty terrifying because it's totally different than stand up, 
And it's harder to me because you're up there with other people and you don't want to make everybody look bad. You know, you don't want to be the guy but that fucks up the show. Your your skill, like your your strength is like being witty and fast. So like, yeah, I agree. Use that. The mo- you, I think people who have the natural wit and for for sure it's not me like i have to build i'm i'm training it like every day but some people just have natural like effortless wit you know and that is i'd say the best improvisers they don't even need to take a class i I appreciate it Um, that makes me feel a lot better so that's something that you go in with and just know that like that's the only way to access that is by being in the moment you have to listen well and you'll like go through your whole journey and at the end of it you'll be like damn the best rule i ever heard was listen well like you'll you'll tell me in like a couple years you'll be like yep listening is the is one of the tools you need in in improv i appreciate that I, i'll take any advice yeah. and uh, the other advice that i was given was don't think uh, and that was uh, something that i also picked up have you seen this improv movie don't think twice yeah, I didn't see it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, the Mike Birbiglia improv. It's really good, man. Everybody I've talked is to it? on this podcast has not seen it yet, and I'm recommending it strongly to anybody. It, okay, it's, I'll I'll go watch it for sure. It's I'll watch so it funny and it's so touching, and it's all about improv and art and like making it and not making it, and say like you're an improv troupe mm-hmm. and your friend makes it and you don't, and what that does to you and what that does to your troupe, uh, it, and it's just really. I've been in that situation. I've been in that situation. It's just really real. Anybody yeah. who's been it's, in a comedy scene and had their friends who started out at the same time as them make it further than them mm-hmm. in a shorter period of time knows how that feels mm-hmm. where you want to give up and you want to feel depressed, but you also want to be happy for your friend and not take it personally. But that's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. And I think that L.A. And it's a taught very, me that. Yeah, and it's a very linear perspective, too, because if you really, like, like I went through something like that. It was the most devastating thing I've experienced in comedy so far. Um, but then it was the best thing that ever happened. And I know it sounds cliche, but, like, it really happened to me where I ended up waiting another, like, when the next auditions came around. And uh, it was probably, like, a year later. And the team that I got set up with, I couldn't have handpicked it myself. And the the director that we ended up with was is the best director at our school. So you got so it worked out for you. It actually benefited you to not get picked up the first time. And our show, False Idols, it got sold out. We were like one of the best, you know, like at the time. So it was kind of like, wow, looking back, I'm like, oh my God, like I was meant to be on this team. I was meant to be doing it at this time. I was meant to be with this director. And like when you, do, when you expand from that linear perspective, then you're like, damn, it's really like there's a bigger plan yeah. without us knowing. The stars got to align. else in the work. Something is working without us seeing it right away. I, man, so. I've been talking about that for the last five podcasts. Like there's so much that goes into like you and I talking right now that you could not have predicted or planned or even wanted to happen because it's not like we kept in touch closely it's not like any of that but for some reason Mm -hmm. there was a moment where i saw you on stage and i was like wow she's got something special and then i saw that you were doing the marty's room and i was just impressed again i was like wow she's doing it she's really doing it doing it better than some of the the people that think that they're awesome 
You know, people that think they're awesome that, you, are not doing it as well as her who's just doing it for fun. And then here you are today, yeah. you're doing the improv and you are UCB. Did you do any iOS or is it just UCB? Oh, yeah, I graduated. Well, UCB, I didn't finish the program. Um, I started off there and then I went to Second City and iOS at the same time, like a lunatic, like thinking here, I'm just going to go to two improv schools at the same time and try to graduate them both. But I, I ended up graduating this past year from both. I was the last graduating class at iOS before they shut down. Oh, they shut down. Yeah, you didn't hear about that no. on my Facebook. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I didn't catch that at part. The time. I know Marty's shut down. Marty's shut down. This whole year was like a year of shutdown. Big Wings shut down. Yeah, that I heard Big Wings yeah. where it was uh, Haiti and uh, Alex. Yep. Oh, that's crazy. That shut down. Yeah. Yeah, and then another place shut down. Yeah, I didn't know iOS shut down. Why? I thought they were like a legit school. The owner. (laughs) It is, and it's in Chicago right Right. now still, but like the owner, uh, there's some politics around that, you know, and the owner of, of like, you know, her reasons for why and then real reasons why people think why. And, um, so just a lot of politics like that. That sucks. And just immediate, like without much notice too. It was like, we're closing in a month. Well, I went to iOS yeah. a couple times, but the one thing I do remember, I went there to watch uh, SNL auditions. So I went there to watch people oh my God. audition Isn't for that SNL. It was so cool. Such I saw great, people really yeah. put their hearts on the stage, like really leave it all out there and go fucking yeah. ham on their characters and their bits. And it was really cool to see. And I saw some famous people. I saw... Uh, What's that guy's name? Ray. Man, I wish I could remember. Leota? No. He's a, he's a comic. Uh, oh, okay. Then I don't know. Because <laughs> I am bad with names. Man, I'm going like, to have to look it up. But he he was so funny. And then I, I, I was a fan of his stand-up. And he's got a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Laugh Factory videos on YouTube. And he's at the store a lot. And then I saw him audition mm-hmm. for SNL. And he just did his stand-up. And I know that he didn't get the part because he wasn't on SNL later, but he is on Mad TV now. So he did get something. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, is You know, um, uh, I, I used to work at iOS as well. So I was doing uh, internship there and I was a house manager there. So, that one of the, so I was there every Friday night. And then one of the Friday nights, they're like, oh, come early, like an hour earlier because we're doing SNL auditions. And, it's, and whenever they would have them, it would be very low-key. Like, it wasn't publicized. Yeah, I got invited because very... one of our friends was auditioning. Yeah, but it was really so inspiring because, I first of all, I got to, like, usher in all the SNL people <laughs> into the rows. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like... I'm literally an under your nose right now. Like, I, I'm here. No, I Hi. thought it was a big deal. It was Adam Ray. Do you know who that is? Adam Ray? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember yeah. the SNL people were sitting in the back, and they had all their headshots out, and they were, like, really anal- – and they picked one person, and, like, maybe 12 people auditioned that day. So, I'm like, that's, yeah. that's such pressure. That's a lot of pressure. And, yeah, but, but these it, people on stage it, were amazing. Like, some of the people were yeah. so fucking amazing, and they didn't get picked. You know, like, man, that sucks. It's inspiring to watch that because they have three minutes right. and they have to do, sometimes they have to do a couple characters at once. And it's like, they have to do it very, you know, effortlessly and like, it has to be seamless. Like, and, and I don't know what I watched a couple, like I watched a showcase and maybe only two or three people. I was like, I could see them on SNL. They're perfect. Right. 
Um, and then some others that were really good too, but you know, it's, it's something else that they're looking for, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you got, they, they know what they're doing. I mean, SNL has been around forever and they've had some of the the greats on there. So got to respect the process and respect the decision and just be proud of anybody who does make it. Cause if one person makes it, that means you can, it's a possibility. You know, the, the possibility exists. If the guy next to you made it, you can make it. Maybe not today. Well, you know. Um, my director for my false idol show, the one that I was, you know, for Second City, um, her best friend is on SNL. And um, I saw her at Second City one time and I asked her, you know, you know, I told her, first of all, you're very inspiring. You know, it was Cicely Strong. And I, I told oh, wow. her, you're very inspiring to like female comedians. You know, I, 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 I love watching you on SNL and everything. And I was just like, you know, thank you. And she was so sweet, so nice. And she's, you know, I heard her story. She was just basically like, keep at it. Just keep doing what you love to do. And don't worry about the, the rough times. Keep going through it. And, and what was interesting, how she got on SNL, from what I heard, is that she was filling in for somebody on, at Second City in Chicago. And someone had asked her for a favor, like, can you... Can you play my part for tonight? And she did it, and that was the night that Lauren Michaels was in the audience. Dang. So it's just stuff like that's that. That's so inspiring. You you, know? Yeah, I'm in Second City, Chicago. I'm about to start there on Monday. Oh my god! And I'm so, just you're going to set. You're going to be. You're in the heart, dude. You're in the heart of improv and sketch right now. That's what I want. I want to write sketches. Like I'm so yeah. ready to do something else with my comedy. Like stand up is my baby. Stand up is my thing like oh i can't ever imagine stop doing it but what i really want to do is write and how i started out in stand-up in the first place was writing writing funny stories writing jokes writing stupid little notes to my friends you know it's just like during class when you're supposed to be paying attention when other people were doodling or writing raps or whatever other people do i was writing jokes and stupid funny stories so then when i started doing stand-up i always had an end game to write write for movies write for tv make my own sketches and then youtube came around like oh man i want to write little youtube sketches and i did for a while i have a a couple of shorts on youtube some of them did all right some of them not so much but it was the the best use of my talent i feel like i feel like stand-up is is a a great showcase for my writing you know what i mean yeah definitely i think you you know especially 2019 you know we are multi-talented every like you'd be you'd be you'd be stupid to be one-dimensional in comedy absolutely with with the way it is we have so many different ways to express our creativity and to share that you know share the comedy in in different ways like writing stand-up improv sketch movies shorts what you, docu- you could even do like a documentary. Absolutely, or and I do- have. I've made a, yeah. a short that was a silent film for a film festival, and you know, oh really? It was a film festival. It was the forty-eight hour film festival where you pick a topic out of a hat, and you have forty-eight oh hours God. to make a film on that topic. And the topic we pulled was silent film, so it was me and like Whoa. six comedians trying to write a silent film, which is really hard since we're all joke writers. You know, we, we write jokes for someone to say. Yeah. So if I tried to put that into a silent film, it was hard, but it came out really good. It was really fun. But like you said, when I was in L.A., uh, I learned really fast because I was already editing videos for YouTube when other people learned that I could edit. 
they asked me to film their comedy sets and edit those, and then they would book me on shows. So that one little skill that I taught myself through YouTube tutorials using iMovie on my MacBook Pro got me booked on shows at the Comedy Store, got me booked on shows at the Laugh Factory uh, just from editing other people's videos because people don't know how to edit a simple skill like that. So Do you use iMovie? Not anymore. I use uh, Final Cut, but I used iMovie oh, for okay. a lot of years until I started wanting to make things a little bit more intricate, a little more complicated. iMovie is really basic, so it's really easy for stand-up. You know, you're not really doing too much editing, yeah. but if you want to do some cool transitions and smooth uh, smooth editing, it, Final Cut's better for that. But, I mean, I haven't. You're like, I'm going to go ahead. step up your game. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm you always want to step up your, your game. game, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a, the point of it all. I think, like you were saying, you don't want to be one-dimensional as a performer these days. Like, we're all Renaissance people now. We're all like Leonardo da Vinci's. You got to be able to mm-hmm. do a little bit of everything so you have a perspective, so you know what's good, what's bad, you know what you like, you don't like. Uh, and that's a big part of it. If you're only doing one thing, then you don't really understand the big picture. Because entertaining people is not one-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. It matters what you say, how you say it, when you say it, timing, where you stand, how you hold the mic. Like that that's all matters, and that's all going to help you in everything you're doing entertainment-wise. Right. And that's Very something I'm true. sure you learn at places like Second City, but if you're somebody like me that's just been doing stand-up for all these years, 12 years now, I learned all those things little by little. So imagine mm-hmm. if I would have actually been professionally trained or classically trained, I probably would have made a lot more progress faster, but I was always stubborn. I was like, I don't need anybody to teach me how to tell jokes. I don't need anybody to teach me how to hold a microphone. Uh, but most of my heroes have taken an acting class, have taken a writing class, went to a performing arts school, you know? Right. And also, what I gained the most out of anything from the, going to the schools was the community. Right. The friends, the networking. Yeah, you're. Do you know every day on my social media, someone from the improv scene is booking a commercial, is on a TV show, is in a movie. It's like crazy. I'm not kidding. Like every day on my feed, there is someone from Second City, iOS, someone, someone that is doing something um, from UCB. Like these people, they're actors as well. They're, they're a lot of them are actors first, and then they do comedy yeah i'm really looking forward to that i think that's a huge inspiration for me to to get into the second city because it is costing me money and time when i have a full-time job i have a new wife chicago is an hour drive for me in traffic you know so it's like i'm putting a lot into this for the connections for the networking for the skill set as well and i and i hate to admit it but a lot of it mostly is to shake hands rub elbows and try to meet like-minded oh. people. And like you said, the golden word community, building the community, and also you know, uh, people that follow my comedy, that's my little community. So I have to keep giving them more. You know, like people that actually yeah. follow me and follow the podcast and follow my Twitter and my Instagram. Like if they just, if I'm just doing the same thing all the time, it's gonna get boring. So I have to mm-hmm. mix it up, try something new. And then if that gets me a friend that's booking commercials or a friend that's, you know, making a movie someday. That's awesome. But in reality, I just need anything new to add to my repertoire and then anything new that can strengthen my stand-up. Improv will definitely strengthen your stand-up. 
Yeah, because I, I hope so. You're gonna bring to improv. You're gonna bring a lot to improv that others won't have because you have stage presence and you have the wit and you have, you know, like you, the stage won't frighten you as much. And the hardest part in the beginning is get on the stage. Right. Get off the wall. Get off the wall. Right. Because improv, improv, you're most of the times on a back line, or you're needing to step out. Two people steps out, and you're on a team of like eight people. Two people need to come out, and it's not enough time to just hesitate. You need to jump out there, like for your team. Not leave. You can't leave the stage empty for a second. Right, you gotta or help else them out. You you drop the momentum. You drop the everything just drops. Like the vibe drops. Like you can't leave the stage empty. So it it's you know I think the most like hilarious improv I've seen is when it's fast. And, and, it, and, and like there's just no thought it's just like everything is just moving and it makes sense yeah i'm uh i'm seeing it differently now i'm glad i talked to you because i forget that in improv there's a time when you're standing in the back line waiting for an opportunity to jump in so in that right. time you're like really analyzing what's going on with your team and how best you can contribute without exactly. without derailing exactly there you go see you're gonna be great because that's what they keep like in the beginning that's what everyone's so excited to perform in a way and they all want to kind of get on get on the stage sometimes and it and it becomes egotistical versus how can i contribute to make this better for the team that's so So that's where yeah that's so relatable i mean we all experience that even you know, we go back to the middle school dance, you know, you got to get your ass off the wall. But I, I'm, I'm telling you that movie, Don't Think Twice, there was the scene in the movie where it's a troupe who they work so well together. They're such a fluid team. They get along. They've known each other. They've been doing this together for so long. And then an SNL, uh, whatever, agent comes, a talent scout, and then they all suddenly want to be the f- one in the front. They want to be the one getting the most stage time. And it fucks up uh-huh. their mojo. And it's like, man, oh. I can totally see that. Say you're doing shows with your troupe, and then all of a sudden they tell you, hey, Lauren Michaels is in the audience. You're going to be inclined. You know, you're going to have that, that, uh, that conflict, that internal conflict of mm-hmm. should, I, should I try to stand out or should I try to make my team look good? Oh, my God. That's such a fine line, and I think that's such a great example. Um, I think that... It's a balance like you, you even whenever wherever I perform, even if I'm in an audition, improv audition or uh, improv show or whatever, I try to think of like, OK, I just went on. I'm going to wait a couple scenes and I always try to even it out. I'm going to wait a couple of scenes and then I'm going to go back in. Yeah, balance it out, give other people a chance and not seem like oh. you're uh you know, you're full of ego. Oh, cause, cause in improv, that's, it's, it's hilarious when you see it. They, when someone's ego driven, it stands out. It's like a sore throat. It's really bad. Yeah, I bet. I bet it's ugly. It, it, it looks really ugly. Like you could just tell, like, because it doesn't work. They're forcing an idea. They're for, that's the thing, like with improv comedy is that you can't force a laugh. It has to be so like natural, has to have happened so naturally that even mistakes are funnier than actual 
like the most wittiest thing you could think of. Yeah, I bet. When mistakes happen, you know, because it's like natural, and and the audience likes that. Yeah, and I think as an audience member, it's it's easier to see, or maybe not easier, but it seems like easy to see if the troop is actually friends with each other, if they get along with each other, if they have a good rapport, a good relationship, Uh, and then they seem to work well together and be funnier together and more willing to make mistakes because they know that is the funny part you know when they're not trying so hard to be impressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think as improv troop member do you hang out with improv people way more than you hang out with stand-up no actually i haven't been hanging out with anybody <laughs> i've been i've been at this job my job that's been taking like a lot of my energy but it's kind of more my downtime this past like month or two, you know, holidays and all that. But um, it was a 50-50. It was very equal. It was maybe more improv people because I was more at the schools, you know, right. and working. And I'd run into everybody like all the time. Whereas with, with since I had gotten my new job, I didn't really get to go to open mics a lot because... I can't do the late night thing. Um, and that's what bit, what's been my dilemma. It's like, how do I, I have to wake up at six? How do I, you know, but when I first started stand up, I didn't, I wasn't working a nine to five. So I was able to do that. You know, yeah. I wish I, I have never not had a job as a stand up. Like as, as long as I've been doing stand up, I've always had a job. So it's always been a balance for me. And I wish that I could have at some point in my life, just you know bit the bullet quit my job and done stand up full time but i am spoiled i like a comfortable living like i never wanted exactly to live five dudes deep in a studio apartment eating ramen noodle every day i'm like man i went to college i have a degree i'm pretty smart i can make twenty dollars an hour pretty easily so i'm gonna go ahead and do that and have my own apartment my own room my own shit my own food be able to go out to eat be able to have a car not have to take the bus you know what i mean like i never wanted to do any of that and that maybe when i was in la i had a lot of comedy store guys a lot of these guys who think they know how to do comedy and there's a right way and a wrong way tell me i should quit my job and i never did and i sometimes i regretted it but now looking back if i didn't have a job i wouldn't be where i am now be married i would not be married i'd be a piece of shit yeah i'd be a fucking alcoholic or a fucking stoner or whatever just lazy i would have been way lazier as far as an adult Maybe I would have been funny, but it wouldn't have been sustainable. It would have been right. very temporary because I, I'm not, I don't have enough self-control. You know what I mean? Without a job and mm-hmm. something to get up and go to the morning, get up and go and do in the morning, I'll sleep till one in the afternoon and go do comedy till 3 a.m. and hang out with my buddies in the street spending my last dollar on a beer. I would be that guy. But since I had a yeah. job, I couldn't. And it, it, right. it was better for me. Right, right. I totally see. Yeah, exactly. And when I started stand up, I didn't have the I had a different I had a career. It was my own business. So it was my own time. And I'd have clients and they were like, whenever I scheduled them. So it was not a nine to five thing. I could sleep in I could do. So when I started stand up, uh, I had that luxury of being able to do the open mic scene every night, three open mics a night hustling every single day and like being up until like five in the morning you know like I I was able to do that for about the first year and then I got a job I got this job and it's 
it's a different life. Like it really is grounding, you know, it anchors you more. Right. And I think that that's more, that is to me like exactly what you said. I want to be able to have a car, an apartment. I want to take care of myself. And then, you know, I rather live this lifestyle where you're secure. And, and, you know, I think that is take care of yourself first and then pursue I yeah. think is the best. Yeah, because I see all these comics that are really funny and been at it for a while, but then they go through these like deep depressions because suddenly yeah. they don't have any options. And I didn't want that to be me. I always liked comedy as my, you know, that I never had to let go. Of com- I never had to stop doing comedy because I had the job. And no matter where I lived, there's always a comedy scene. But if I didn't have a job, I wouldn't be able to move. I wouldn't be able to improve my situation. I wouldn't be able to plan for my future. I would always be totally reliant on making it as a comic. And if right. your whole life is revolved around a potential dream, something that's not guaranteed, that's stressful. And every year that it doesn't happen for you, you're going to start doubting yourself more and more. But since I have stability, I've never had to doubt my comedy. I always know that, all right, all right, maybe next time, maybe next set, maybe next year, maybe next gig, maybe the next thing, maybe the next thing. And, you know, and it's always worked out for me. But you, you got to know yourself. You got to know yourself pretty well. And I just knew that I couldn't be in the street all night anymore. When I went to L.A., I was already 30. So it's like when I was hanging out with all these 24-year-olds, like I, I knew that it wasn't for yeah. me. It's just like I, I can't. I can't forget the things that I've learned. I learned that I'm not the guy that wants to hang out all night. I'm not the guy that wants to drink every day. I'm not the guy that wants to go hit on girls and do that shit. I just didn't want to be that guy. I wasn't that guy anymore. So I had to mm-hmm. I had to, you know, rev- make my life suitable for me and I still didn't like my LA life because I always had to live with strangers. You know, I was always living with people I met on Craigslist and that shit sucked. Yeah. That's one of them. No, I think you did it. I think you did a smart thing because that, like, you have to. Like, how old are you? I'm 35 now. Yeah. Okay. So we're not that far in age. Like, same generation. I'm 38. Oh, okay. So you know, I feel old as fuck. I'm like, you know, you gotta know yourself, and I think that's the the good thing that we have that under our belt is that we know who we are. We've lived longer. Right. We've done all that stupid shit, you right. know? A lot of comedians are doing that and maybe they didn't go to college or whatever and so that that's their college years. They right. they're they're living it up and whatever, but that's the thing. There's so much diversity in age. Like there's such a gap. Like sometimes it's like I'm hanging out with, you know, I 20-year-old young 20-year-olds and I I'm just like, yeah, it's not the same. It's it's two different lives, it is. you know? Like I'm an adult. I want to get married. I want to live, you know, a different life, but do comedy. Right. And, and and doing comedy doesn't have an age limit, doesn't have a time. Comedy's not going anywhere. Nope. You know, it's and always going to be there be, for you. It'll always be there for you. And if you love it that much, it will find time in your day to day. It will. It will. And something like this. I mean, that's what the podcast is for. That's why I do open right. mics. That's why I do shows. Uh, and that's why I go watch shows, too. I go watch my friends do comedy because I know if I support them, they'll support me. And the more you show your face, the more likely you'll get booked. So it is like you help them. It helps yourself. Community. Community building. Community supporting. I'm all for it. And you're going to be in Chicago. Like, damn. Like, you know how lucky you are? Like, the education that you're going to be getting because it's Chicago 
Second City. I mean, it's that's 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 where it's all started from. Yeah, you know, I'm that's where all the let all the legends came from. So you're gonna you're gonna be watching a lot of shows and the best shows, like the best sketch and improv shows there because that's where their talent you know, they're, like legends came from that school in Chicago. So yeah, I, I'm a little yeah. bit surprised that I let this much time go by without me taking advantage of the Second City of Chicago. It's like if you're in Chicago and you're a comedian, you should you should take advantage of the thing Chicago has that no other city has, and that's right. the Second City. Like I know they have one in Toronto and they have one in L.A., but it's not it's not the original, you know. And if you and, and and graduating from there is a bigger deal than graduating from the LA one. Well, I appreciate that. That sounds good. I just yeah, got a message so. from uh, Tim McGorry. He said, oh, what's "He's up? like, I can't believe you got Cat on there before you have me on there." Ah, you got Cat on your podcast well, before me. Tim was cool as fuck. He was a Marty's guy. You tell him to ship you some of that or bowls. Yeah, right. Why don't you send me a package, buddy? <laughs> send me a stinky yeah. package. <laughs> Put it in some coffee beans or something. Yeah, he's uh, he's roasting my friend Victor on Tuesday, so I'm pretty excited to see that. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. That's that's gonna be funny. They they stream it still, right? Yeah, Periscope. Yeah. Are you hanging I'm out at the store in. much anymore? Because I don't think I. S- yeah, you were there. I haven't. You were there no, when because you met I my haven't. wife, so you were around two years no, ago. Yeah, but not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought you meant recent, like yeah, in the past six months. I haven't. Not so much. No, no, no. I haven't. Again, since I got this job, it's been almost a year. I haven't been able to do the nightlife like comedy scene that yeah, much. That's so, what like, happened to me. I used I used to go to comedy store at the last last like after all your open mics, and then you just go there like around you know one right before they close. You know, it's like hang hanging out. out the last the last place to hang out. But, you know, again, that lifestyle does not go with a nine to five. No, no, I'll be a zombie. Can't do it. No, it wasn't worth it. But I mean, I appreciate what I did. I mean, I made some of my best friends. I mean, I met you there. I met Victor, Caesar. Yeah. All my best friends I met there. I mean, our relationships didn't bond there. We bonded a lot, like at the garage mic, at the uh, next stage, Barubians. Um, Mm hmm. Those those other venues is where I really bonded with guys um, and gals. So I just appreciated all that. I feel like I was there for a very special time when like the roast battle was new and everybody was yeah. first getting into it, and it like made our community a little bit closer. And then mm-hmm. you started recognizing you started recognizing people that were really hungry. You know, people that really wanted to maybe not be famous or be rich or anything like that, but really wanted to get their name out there and be like, Hey, this is who I am. This is where my talents are. And I hope you like me. Cause I just had uh, mm-hmm. Izzy Salhani on the podcast yesterday. Did you, Oh yeah. Did you know Izzy? I, I, I know of her from the scene. Like I, I don't know her personally, but I've seen her. I've seen her before. Yeah. Similar story to you and I, she was just somebody that I met when I first moved to LA and her and I did a couple of like shitty shows together, like flappers, you who room shows, you know, like, uh-huh. Just bringer shows and, you know, shows where, you know, you're pretty much performing for five or six people. Uh, but, it, you know, it builds a bond. It's like, okay, we're doing this. We're starting from the bottom. You know, we're like the janitors. And then we're trying to work ourselves up to be the, the CEOs. 
And <laughs> it was a fun process. I always loved to see people that kept doing it, just kept doing it no matter how mm. many bar shows, no matter how many open mics. And like you said, doing those open mic runs where you're doing, you know, five, six open mics in a night if you can squeeze it in and then hanging yeah. out afterwards, hanging out at the store, hanging out in the parking lot and just kicking it, just trying to get the most out of those experiences. And let me tell you, a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just remembered everyone's always passing a joint. It was just like everyone's always smoking. It's like the whole night you're smoking. That's something that I try to, you know, it's advice that I give to new comics. Is like, if it wasn't for me smoking weed on the back steps of the comedy store, I would never have made all the friends that I made. Like, I made all those friends because I had my own shit and they had their own shit and we would just share. And that's like how we started yeah. talking. And we started giving each other advice. They started telling me about shows I didn't know about. And then I would tell them how I was getting on shows that they didn't know about. And you share that information and you form that little brotherhood and that little community. And then we've stayed pretty close. Like the amount of friends that I had in the beginning is still pretty close to the friends that I have now. Like I didn't really branch out too much because soon after getting there, I got a real job. So I couldn't hang out so much. So the friends I made in the first couple of months are the friends I had for the rest of those years. Yeah. And they all started moving on too. Like Caesar's got a baby, Victor's got a baby, I you know? know. I can't believe it. Like Caesar's little baby girl is so cute. Oh my gosh. Yeah, adorable. Love I love seeing everyone growing up on Facebook. It's or Instagram. It's it's crazy. Yeah. I have my twenty year high school reunion this year. Oh shit. <laughs> Can you believe that? It's hard like, to believe. Oh my god. I know mine's I coming up and it, it still like scares me. I feel like I just graduated high school. I feel like a kid. I still feel like a high school. I'm in high school. Like my life hasn't much changed. I'm not married. Haven't been married. Don't have kids. I'm gonna show up. Just be like, hey. Where are you from? You're from me. LA, right? I am. I was. I've. I've been uh, raised since I was six. I came from Texas. I uh, was born in Dallas, and then I came here when I was six, and I've been living in LA all my life. So. 32 years <laughs> is it, it'll be officially my 32nd year in LA that's crazy I know that's what I, I remember so that I remember you telling me that you're around my age I didn't remember that you were older than me but I thought you were my age but it's just weird that you mentioned the 20 year anniversary because I was just thinking about that like oh really? my, mine is around the corners three years from now and I'm like yeah. damn it does not feel like that. I feel like I'm 25 still. That's what I feel. I know. What the hell is this? This is like fucked up shit. Like, honestly, my brain and my like heart, everything is, is, is like, it feels like it's getting younger. Okay. And then my body feels like it's 80 years old. Like, yeah, I, body, I, not so know, much. Backache, neck, neck, neck ache. It's like, what is this? I don't know. My That's body's what... already falling apart, and I'm 38. Well, I was talking with my friend Wilford yesterday. He was a guy that I did comedy with in South Korea, and now he's doing comedy in Toronto, Canada. And we were talking about like letting go of your ego, and a part of growing old is that your body starts falling apart. So you stop identifying mm -hmm. yourself as your body, and you naturally let go of some of your ego. And that's going to help you. Mm -hmm. It's going to help you be a better person and obviously a better artist. That's a very deep point. Um, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm just thinking, you know, like men, my opinion, I think men age better than women. Like they look actually better looking when they get older. 
And then women, unfortunately, they deteriorate, it looks like, you know, like we fall apart and we have to get all this extra done to us to like keep up. And, you know, that's one thing that scares me is like aging as a woman, because <laughs> a man could go bald, a man could get white hair, a man could get fat, but like he could still be good looking. Yeah, I could see that. But it's still like as a man, I went bald and it really hurt me. Like I lost so much self-confidence when I went bald. Really? But nobody- you're not you're not a you didn't like it wasn't intentional? No. My shit fell out. You can't <laughs> against you my can't will. Tell. You can't tell. <laughs> well, I'm lucky I got like a good head. head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got lucky with no, that that I don't head. look terrible bald, but I never wanted to be bald, and I really missed my hair. Uh, I really liked my hair when I uh, had it. But once I started going bald and once my hair was, like, obviously gone where I couldn't, like, hide it anymore, I had to readjust my personality. You know what I mean? I used to spend time in the mirror fucking with my hair. Oh, no. And now I don't. You're one of those guys? Yeah. I had like curly little locks and I had little bangs that I would like place intricately. You know, I would like move individual hairs in my bangs to make it look what? a certain way. And I'm like, man, thank God. Oh, thank yeah. God my hair fell out because I was such a, such a like, so You're vain. so anal, huh? So about vain. Your hair. Yeah. So like, vain about I was like, that's, that's so a stupid. good point because like you feel like you became a little less egotistical because yeah. you lost your hair absolutely it made you more humble i thank god to this day that i lost my hair because i don't think that i would have been able to like see myself for what i really am i'm not my hair you know uh-huh. my hair has really nothing to do with who i am and those little like i said those gradual releases of your ego because your body starts falling apart yeah, you could work out and keep it together, but you're you're still gonna notice. Your back is gonna hurt. Your knees are gonna hurt. You gotta like switch positions when you're sitting, and you wake up some mornings and you can't move because your neck is fucked up, and it, and so it's like your body is telling you that you're getting older and you need to start focusing on the long term, focusing on things that that are sustainable and not things that are just for fun or just for the image. And even if you try to ignore right. it, even yeah. if you work out every day, you still notice you're getting older. You still notice your body tells you the truth. Oh, yeah. I, Try not to shy I, away from I it. Get, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, it's a big deal, like, having to accept. I think we are hitting that age where that's the wake-up call, you know? Like, your health is, like, now number one. Like, right. everyone around my, our, my age, you know, is concerned about their health, than ever before like right. you know mental health and physical health and it's talked about more and um i think that yeah th- that <laughs> it it's 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 scary because you know it's having to accept that we're getting older but it also makes it humbling because it's like okay well i'm i'm more comfortable in my skin right. i'm more able to be myself i'm i'm able to not yeah, more care real. about physicality so much yeah, yeah you I, become more real I you're think. more real and i think that your comedy will improve you know hopefully your comedy will improve because you're not going to write about the same things when you're 25 that you're going to write about when you're 35 hopefully you know and i think that's <laughs> right it's really important because not everybody's going to be famous so you still need to have a, a set that the audience can relate to. And if you're 35 on stage 
looking 35, but you're talking about shit that a 25 would talk about, you're not going to connect as much. Like these days when I'm on stage, I tell a lot of jokes about, you know, going bald and having to pee all the time. And when I, I tell this joke about like, I have to pee all the time and sometimes I don't make it. So my car smells weird. And I'll have these <sighs> like old men in the audience, like dying laughing. Cause I know that most uh-huh. people that have pissed, <laughs> pissed their pants stuck in traffic would never admit it to a room of strangers. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So for me to be up there with a confident act and a confident look and, uh, you know, the way that I present myself and then be open and honest about my bladder issues, like lets them feel better about who they are. But if I was up there right. making fun of people for pissing their pants and it's like, oh, old men wearing diapers like I used to when I was a kid, you know, I was a kid and we'd go to the grocery store and see the Depends, we'd have a good laugh. And now I go to the mm-hmm. grocery store and I see the Depends and I'm like, shit, one day, <laughs> right. one day right. that's going to be me. It's like, that's sad. So sad I think, truth. I, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome for, for the art world, for especially comedians. Now that I, I'm back in Indiana and I have my little home club where I'm a regular at and all the guys up there are varying ages, but most of them are a little bit older. Most of them are in their thirties. Most of the guys that I'm doing stand up with now, cause I feel like young guys or gals are going to move to New York or move to Chicago or move to LA to try to, to try to make it in the big stages and once that shit doesn't work out for you, like you think it's going to, you're going to come back home. And that's who I'm doing stand-up with now, like real comics. People are doing it just because they love it, not because they think they're ever yeah. going to be on TV. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the hard part about L.A.'s comedy scene, is that everyone thinks, like, you know, it's like that's what I feel like a lot of people are after. And it um, takes away from the art of comedy absolutely just just the passion part but they make you feel that way in la it's like oh you don't have a tv credit then i'm not gonna book you it's like what like you're not gonna book people that don't have tv credits there's only like one percent of people that have a tv credit so you're not the 99 percent of us you're just not even gonna look at and how do you get a tv credit i mean the luckily the roast battle gave a bunch of my friends tv credits uh, but if it wasn't for the roast battle, what opportunity do these guys have? Right. You know, you, we were talking earlier. Um, you were saying how you were just like because you were working and you were building your, st- you know, having st- building stability in your life that uh, y- you weren't you were just doing what comes to you. Right. Right. And that's kind of how I'm living it, too. It's like I'm not. I think the benefit to that about doing it because you love to do it versus like doing it because you're trying to get on TV um, is that it doesn't make you as like, it doesn't bring out the ugly side. It doesn't bring out the jealousy, the competition that comes with that. Right. It, it makes it um, like, I believe everything happens for a reason. You can't force things to, hap- to happen. And, it, and there's, I believe, enough for everybody and enough for all of us to be successful and have opportunities. Right. We can't but all want n- the same thing. There's not enough food on the table for everybody to eat the same thing. So it is, I, I totally believe in destiny. I totally believe everything happens for a reason. Not only do I believe it, I know it to be true. I've lived such a crazy life mm-hmm. where there were mm-hmm. so many times in my life where I should have... I, there's no way I should be where I am right now. Stable, married, 
with a full-time job, still doing comedy, had done, you know, my little roast battle stint where I had my little 15 minutes. Like, there was times in my life where I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve what I have now. I was too reckless and too self-destructive. But I made it this far because it was destined. Like, every corner, every turn where I had to make a choice, I made the right choice, whether it was Mm -hmm. obvious or not at the time. Because later on, I look back like, oh, shit, I needed that experience. So now I'm doing this. I can appreciate it and not take it lightly and not, like you said, feel competitive or feel like I need to do better than my friend next to me. I never had those Mm -hmm. emotions in L.A. I always was very proud of any of my friends that did anything successful or not, just the fact that they were trying because I know the end game and the long term you just need to be a good person, a good human. I wish a lot of people. I wish a lot of people thought like you. I don't think they do. Though. No, they don't. They're competitive, yeah. and there's nothing wrong yeah. with being competitive. I mean, comedy in L.A. is competitive. If you don't want to compete, you don't need to be in L.A. Uh, you can go somewhere else. You can go to L.A. and you know see what you got, see what you're made of. But, you know, it it doesn't have to be that way. But I think if you want to be on TV, you're competing with all the other people that want to be on TV. But if you just want to do stand-up, you're not really in competition because there's always going to be a stage. There's always going to be a YouTube. There's always going to be a Twitter. There's always going to be a podcast platform for you to talk. So it, telling jokes yeah. and being funny doesn't have to be on television. That's a very small percentage of what stand-up comedy is. Again, it goes back to, like, what do you want more? Is it that people are after fame? At the end of the day, what is it? Is it fame? Like, people want to be celebrities and famous? Or is it because they love comedy? I think people are torn between wanting to be rich and wanting to be famous. Because uh, they're not the same thing. Some rich people are not famous and some famous people are not rich. But I don't think everybody understands that. I think some people right. think it goes hand in hand. But it, it really doesn't. And if you're money-driven, stand-up comedy is... Not where you want to be. Go into finance. Go be a banker, you know, if you really want to be rich. Now, if you want to be famous, maybe stand up, but probably better off acting or better off with a with a popular vine or, you know, Insta famous, mm-hmm. you know, because stand up right. comedy, you have to be talented, hardworking, smart, likable. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. That's not easy. That's super fucking hard. There's easier ways to be rich. There's easier ways to be famous. And and so that makes everything all the difference because then, I don't know, like for me, I'm happy just doing this podcast. Like this makes me happy. Yeah, me too. uh, Posting jokes every day makes me happy. Like, Yeah, you're really good at that. Your your Facebook and shit is really entertaining. Thank you so much. No, yeah, I, you're really I, funny I, honestly, and honest. Honestly, that's I like my it. joy. <laughs> it's my joy. I love, I just love it. And it's not to be at an end game. It's not like, okay, I have to be on this stage or I have to be on this platform or I have to be. It's just, this is what I think it feels like when you love doing doing what you love and love doing what you do and and you really go after your passion. Like, then then it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. It really doesn't. No. And I think that you're pretty true to yourself. What is your, how does your family feel about your Facebook posts? <laughs> you know, my mom, she was begging me because in my sets, too, um, I'll have like, these like jokes about her. And I'll post, and I've posted stuff on Facebook, and she's friends with me on I'm like, great. Now, 
you know, she monitors everything I say. I, I, I said a joke that, like, she knows me better now because now, not that because we're living together, but because we're Facebook friends now. Yeah. And it's true. She's, she, she sees everything. She sees the other um, side. But she's begged me, she's begged me to stop making jokes and making fun of her. <laughs> she's begged me. She's like, if you do, I'm going to do something really bad. And I'm like, I'm scared. What is she going to do? <laughs> like, she has access to all my friends. She has access to my world. Um, so I, I've negotiated with her. I check in with her before I post something. And I'm That's like, funny. is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, my mom was, uh, in my special, I was telling jokes about my mom hitting us when we were kids. And I could tell it mm. hurt her feelings at first, but she got over it. Because <laughs> I just had to explain to her, I'm like, Mom, it happened. You know it happened. I know it happened. It doesn't matter. I'm over it. You should be over it. If I can talk about it on stage in a joking manner, you should know that it's not traumatizing anymore. You know, it was. Don't get me wrong. It was traumatizing, but I'm fucking 30 now. What are you going to do? She's probably just embarrassed. She was she's embarrassed. Like, but then, you know, once like, you what? once she hears the crowd laughing at it, then she right. got over it. You when know, she's I, there. originally when she's hearing it for the first time, she's not hearing it as a joke. But then when right. she reflects and sees that the crowd is really enjoying it, because I'm definitely not the only kid who was hit by their parents. You know, I'm definitely not. So she shouldn't feel like she's such a bad person. And it's true. I and, don't. And I don't hate so my mom. Many, uh, there's like a lot of comedians who've joked about that, and it doesn't make their parents look bad. It just you could understand it's cultural. It's, it's cultural. That's what I um, explained to her. It's uh, yeah. It's it's just part of, you know. I was hit. You know, it, it's just part. I think that was like the Middle Eastern culture part, but um, finding the humor in our experiences is what makes this. A healing journey absolutely like shining the light on the darkness exactly and like you know i love ta- you know self-deprecating humor like it's healing it really really is absolutely. the whole thing about talking about like you know like the four guys or whatever the like limp limp penis the persian jewish ones that whole set was i turned something that was very traumatizing for a woman and um, painful and, like, doubtful. You know, it took something that was, like, a really, like, secretive thing for me. Like, only my close girlfriends knew. To me, exposing it to the world and videoing it and putting it on blast and, like, even those guys are on my Facebook. So it's just a healing journey that I can laugh about stuff that Absolutely. And I remember when you were up there telling the jokes, I could tell it's something you really went through. And you were kind of Uh, on stage. And the punchline was sort of what's wrong with me. But in reality, what's wrong with them? You know, like that's that's what makes it funny Uh, because you're looking at it from your perspective, but it's a joke. You know, so you're like, oh, okay, where's the the contrast? And I just thought it was really, like you said, it was revealing. And I was like, wow, that's brave. And it is what comedy's supposed to be, risky. You're, risk, you're putting yourself out there. Because if people don't laugh, then you're kind of just venting. And that's not comedy. Comedy should be funny. And you did a great job. Right. Well, thank you very much, sir. And uh, that same room is where I did my. I ended up doing my first show at the comedy store. My first show ever was at the belly room. Oh, nice. Um, the real, real show. And I had uh, my... Persian Jewish 
friends there and their husbands who are Persian Jewish men and my brother-in-law who's Persian Jewish as well. And I was just like, okay, if they can laugh at, there was like my trial. Imagine first show ever. And I'm doing this. I tweaked a lot of that. What you heard was just like one part of it, but you know, they were able to laugh. And it was such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, that it's feels like, good. Oh my god, it feels good to know that. Okay, you know what? People can laugh at themselves, right? Because I'm sure they have erectile dysfunction too. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's not. They're Persian. Yeah. Ju- they're Persian Jewish. They're not getting away with this either. But I'm sure they're able to laugh at themselves, and like that's what I'm hoping to accomplish is that someone sees the similarity, or I could relate, be relatable enough where they could see, they could turn around and. And see the joke and laugh at themselves too, because I think that's one of the best healings is to make fun of yourself. Like absolutely, I, I, I mean, used it's to necessary. Always make fun of myself. Well, yes. that's something I was talking about earlier too. Is like in comedy, there's always got to be a victim. Like you're making fun of somebody or something, and sometimes you're making fun of yourself. And you got to have that balance, that yin and that yang, or you just kind of seem like an angry comic. And I, yes, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to be the angry guy because I'm not yeah. an angry person. I. I like my negative experiences. They they form my personality. They made me who I am. All the shitty things that happened to me. Uh, and a lot of the shitty things that happened to me were my fault. Nine times out of ten, my mom was hitting me for some shit I did wrong. You know what I mean? She wasn't doing it for mm-hmm. no reason. Mm-hmm. So I look at my life you- like that as a whole. Like Most of the time when bad things happen to me, I put myself in that situation. So I should yeah. be able to make fun of it. It's your experience. That's what I believe. It's our experience. We could, we, we should have the right to interpret it how we want, and then define it how we want, explain it how we want. Yeah, it's my life. Um, like you can't tell me it's my life, and I'm pretty. That happy. should be a song. It's my life. You can't tell me. There's a song like that. It's a Bon Jovi. Song. <laughs> oh, it is. It's my life. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, this sounds like a song. Yeah, I'm just ripping off other people. So I even felt, I felt guilty a little bit about my, you know, doing that set, even though I'm talking about myself, but it was like talking bad about Persian Jewish guys, but I balanced it out. At least I give and take, you know, I'm like, okay, here. That was just the last guys that you experienced. Could have been another ethnicity. Are you Persian? Is that what you are? I am Persian Jewish. You are Persian Jewish. Okay. Yes, so you know that's why I've dated more uh, Persian Jewish guys. It's just the community thing. Hey, I'm married to a Mexican girl. I'm Mexican. That's how it goes. Yeah, you you kind of keep it in the family, you know. Especially yeah. Persian Jews, they want to, but I've learned. I've become so much more open minded. I'm like, I don't want to date a Persian Jewish guy at all. I don't want to marry one. Um, not because of just the erectile dysfunction. I just think that I'm so different than majority of my culture. Probably. I'm like the black, I feel like the black sheep of my culture. Um, and, and so the guys I feel like are expecting, you know, traditional Persian Jewish girl and I'm far from that. Yeah. Something different. So I think it's more of a, more of a compatibility issue. No, it's Um, huge. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife, and I'm not she's she's I'm not from religious. El Paso, Texas. So she's like okay. real Mexican compared to me. You know, hey, I'm from Diana, Texas represents. Oh, yeah. She's a, everything's bigger. 
She 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 uh, came she moved to Indiana when she was like 19, you know, and I'm from here. So uh, when I met her, we were different. We were the same ethnicity, but we were different culturally. I was like yeah. I was pretty much a white guy compared to her. I don't speak Spanish. We only speak English in my house like with my mom and my brothers and sisters. Uh we eat Mexican food and we have, you know, Mexican parties and everybody's Mexican, but compared to her, we were very whitewashed, extremely whitewashed. Uh, but uh-huh. the compatibility was there because we're the same age. We're both born 1983. We like the same kind of music. We eat the same kind of food. We like the same kind of movies. So those kind of things that you could have in common with any ethnicity, really. So, I mean, it just happens to right. be that her and I clicked on a deeper level than just our ethnicity. So I got really lucky with that. The fact that she's Mexican is great. It's awesome. But it wasn't the reason why I fell in love with her, you know? That wasn't the compatibility. No, it just, I think, yeah. I think the biggest compatibility part is that we're the same age. If I had to choose uh, a category of things that I think are most important for her and I is that we're the same age. Because other girls mm-hmm. I dated were always younger than me. And that shit never oh, worked out. Isn't that, isn't that the worst? Like, they're so mature. <laughs> yeah, I could I think younger guys and girls are like, these days, it just are so immature sometimes. Yeah. It's, I hold on dearly to the people I meet that are my age. I'm like, you get me. You right. understand our generation. It is a difference. It is a difference. It is. We have to keep that. We have to keep that that perspective. Uh, that we 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 knew life before the internet. I think that's a big part of it. We knew life yes. before cell phones. Yes. We knew life before pagers. social media. Hello. Yeah, Did pagers. You have a pager? Shout out to pagers. Yeah, I had a pager. Shout out to pagers. I had a pager that only my mom would ever hit me up on though it was only it was only for my mom so you never did the alphanumeric thing with your friends no i never no i never did because by the time i was out of the house i i had a cell phone i bought a cell phone as soon as i went away to college so the whole time i was in high school i didn't have a a pager to the very end till i was like a senior and it wasn't it wasn't even my pager it was my mom's pager that i would just take to school to look cool but it was just so my mom could tell me when she was going to come pick me up from wrestling practice or from the gym or whatever because I didn't have a car. So it was just like for show more than anything. A lot of times it <laughs> didn't even have a battery in it. I would just pretend. Oh, my God. You to look cool. That's just to hilarious. Just to look cool. I was a fucking That's hilarious. Loser. That's when I was Ew. fixing my bangs in the mirror playing with my fake pager. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. How did you make it through high school without without a pager at all like i, I was remember. in ninth grade i was in ninth pay grade <laughs> right pay phones were yeah pay phones i forgot about pay phones. remember pay phones pay, there was a line for the pay phones during lunch and recess yeah yep, i was and, in there i remember pay phones i remember like you would call collect and then t- hey mom yeah, pick me would, up and then hang up right <laughs> right tricks i'm yeah. telling you loop, loopholes we were very we had to be yeah you and know, I had who, a had in the, who had 25 cents in their pocket? Come Not on. Not me. Not me. <laughs> but those are the good old days, man. I remember that. I remember when you leave your house, right. nobody knows where you are. That was just a part of life. As soon as you walk out the door, you're fucking disappear. Poof. You could be anywhere. Right. Right. And no one can get a hold of you, and it's okay. And that was okay. That was but like... now, I get anxiety if I don't respond back to like a Facebook post on time. Like I'm like, shit. They know I'm already on here. <laughs> I need to respond. Yeah, it's so and it's weird. Just little anxieties like that, you know, that we didn't have to think about. No one, see, we were harder to get a hold of back then. And now it's like we're so accessible that like everyone wants your attention right now. Like, it's so it's weird. That. 
it's weird if you analyze it. I was thinking about Bill Burr has this joke about <coughs> him and his wife. So like, say me and my wife, we're in constant contact with each other all day long. No matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, we have access to each other. And Bill Burr was talking about his parents, that his dad would leave for work at 6 in the morning and not come home to 8 in the night, and that he didn't talk to his wife during that whole period of time. So Bill Burr is like, I talked to my wife in one day more than my my father talked to my mother their entire relationship. And it's oh, like, my God. And, like, it's a crazy way to look at it, but it's so true. Like, me and my wife communicate constantly all day long, and that was not possible 20 years ago. Right, right. That's true. So you got to think of relationships. That's That puts a strain on relationships, though. I mean, it's like... It's like forced, uh, forced interaction almost. So if you don't, if you're not really in love, if you don't really want to be with that person, that shit's gonna get real old real fast. That's the worst. That's why there's so many ghostings happening. Yep. <laughs> that's why. That's why dating sucks, especially in LA these days. You know, it's like dating everywhere probably sucks, but like dating, especially in metropolitan cities no la was pretty like, brutal i mean i was dating out there and i was pretty shitty like i would just text the girl I'd be like hey i'm i'm not coming you know like I, just, <laughs> I had a i had a lot of that going on i mean luckily i didn't continue dating anybody so now i could be available for my beautiful wife but there was girls that i was dating that i had no reason not to like i just was i had my priorities on comedy like when i wasn't at work i wanted to be doing comedy and if i had any girlfriends none of them were comedians and they would always say, hey, let's go out on a date. And I'd be like, man, do I really want to spend my money on dating or do I want to spend my money on gas to get to the next show? And when I'm at that show, mm. I can have a beer. And after the show, I can go to the dispensary and pick up something. Or do I want to go on a date with a girl that I don't really know and don't really like? No, not really. And I would just, I was so rude with my text messages. I'd just be like, you know, I'm really not that into you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, damn. You're like, uh, did you hear about the book or the movie? <laughs> just not that That's into you. And I, but yeah. I felt like that was more noble than the ghosting. We just like not talking to them anymore or just not showing up. Like it was a little bit more noble to send a shitty text messages to text messages and to just not show up. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that that you get decent points for that. Yeah, decency points. And I never had any yeah. any bad breakups though. And I probably had I don't know in the three years I was there maybe like four or five different girlfriends. Like I was I was hot on that Tinder. I was swiping Can we, all day. You really want to talk about this like this right now? About your wife is going to be listening to this. <laughs> she knows. I you know I was so honest with her when her and I first started talking. You know I was so honest uh-huh. with her because I didn't want anything to come up later, and her be like, "Oh, why didn't you tell me about this?" Or how come you never told me about that? So I just told her everything because I knew that that know, was that was the breaking girls, point. Girls never want to hear it, even if no, they, she they didn't know. like it. She there was fights. There were almost breakups about shit like that. But all that's way behind me i got it over with in the beginning i ripped the bandage off the bandage off so that's great now i don't i don't have shit to worry about nothing is ever going to come back to haunt me as far as like past relationships i'm very lucky in that sense peace la i'm out of here yeah all the garbage back yep you goddamn right can i ask you a question sure because I, I hear you say it over and over again. It's so cute, and I just keep wanting to, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But how does it feel to keep saying my wife, my wife? I think it's so cute. It feels good. It feels uh, natural. It feels like this is what I was meant to do. Like in all those what? years that I was single and dating and in and out of relationships, mm-hmm. I never 
felt comfortable. I always knew that I didn't really care about them. Like all the relationships I was in, I knew deep down inside that I was with these girls for the wrong reasons. And uh, and I knew that it wasn't going to work out. I knew it wasn't going to last. But I always knew that I grew up with a big family. I have six siblings and my mother has a bunch of brothers and sisters. And my on my dad's side, I have a bunch of fucking cousins. So I always knew deep down inside that I wanted my own family. So I was always dating looking for the right one. Dating looking for the right one. But I was so immature and my priorities were so misplaced that I was always dating girls for the wrong reasons. Like never for the right reason. Never once because I I think that I kind of was... See, my, my wife now, I met her 12 years ago. Her and I used to date a long time ago. Her, oh, really? So when you met her, her and I hadn't just met. We had met in oh. 2005 or 2006. Uh, oh, and we so this were was like a... Re- rekindling yeah. yeah we have a great story. story we have a great romantic oh my story God. bring it i want to hear this if so you i want. met her no it's a great story i met her in 2005 or six something like that i was home from college visiting friends for a weekend and my brother and i went to a bar to visit a girl that i liked so he was friends with this girl and i liked this girl so we went to the bar to go see her and my current wife was there with th- with that girl and her friends they were friends They had mutual friends. So I'm on the dance floor dancing with the girl that I came there to see. And my current wife is dancing with my older brother. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to hook up. They're going to they're going to hook up and I'm going to hook up with this chick. And I'm dancing with the other girl. And every time I look over my shoulder, she's staring at me. My current wife, she's just looking at me. She's just Mm -hmm. staring at me. And I'm like, what the hell? And she's in that time. She was super hot. I was very attracted to her, but I didn't know her. And I was really into this other girl. So I kind of just brushed it off. But, like, for some reason, that same night, her and I ended up in the same car together, and we just talked a little bit, and then uh, she gave me her number, and I was trying to hit her up a lot. I was always trying to see her, but she would always blow me off, not return my texts, not return my calls, and then one day, like a year later, uh, I was home from school. I was on an internship, and I was living in a house with a couple of friends, and we were always throwing parties, and she knew some of those guys, and she just hit me up randomly one day, and she's like, hey, I got some girlfriends. We're looking for something to do. So I invited them over to my house to our party. And uh, at the time, you know, I didn't really have too much expectation, so I kind of blew her off. She came to our house party, and I was there with another girl. So it was like I barely talked to her, and it was kind of rude. You know, she came there to hang out with me, and I really wasn't even there at the party. I was in my room with a different girl. And then, uh, oh my God. But we were friends. We were cool. And then just like one thing after another happened and we started talking. Then we went out on a date and we went out on our first date. And in that date, she told me that she has a son, that she had a five-year-old son at the time. And I was 23 years old. And uh, Uh I was like uh, really kind of taken aback. But, you know, my mom was a single mom, so I didn't judge her. I just was like, am I really ready to date a girl with a kid? And before I could even make a rational choice, I just jumped into the relationship. So then we dated for three years. We were together for three years while I was still in what? college. So wow. she, So she was driving an hour from where she lived to Purdue University where I went to school to hang out with me. I lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan on an internship with Pfizer, and she moved in with me there. And during that time, I really learned that I was not ready for to be a stepfather. I was not ready for a real serious relationship. Because we were always fighting about me being immature and not being a great boyfriend. But I was always defending myself. I was always telling her, like, I'm 23. I'm not ready to stay home every night. I'm not ready to say no to the party. I'm not ready to be here and be yours 
yet. So as time went on, the relationship just started falling apart, falling apart. We were fighting a lot. And then the straw that broke the camel's back is she was working and we were supposed to go to a concert and we were running late and she's still at work and she's telling me, wait for me, wait for me. And I'm telling her the show's about to start and I really want to see this show. So I left without her and she broke up with me. Damn. And, uh, and she didn't take me back. And I thought that she would, you know, because we had broken up before and we always got back together and she didn't take me back. It was like I hurt her too much, you know. And then uh, we broke up and life went on and then she started dating somebody else. So out of revenge, I started dating somebody else, some girl that I never really liked. But then I moved in with that girl and then I hated her. I was just so <laughs> oh unhappy, but I just didn't want to go back home to my mom's house. So, yeah. you know, my Diana could... I didn't want her to see me with my tail in between my legs. So because of all that going on, I moved to South Korea. Like I was looking for what? a way to get as far away from wow. home as possible because I got tired of seeing her with her new boyfriend because I would always fucking see them. It's just too small of a town. Damn. And so I got tired of seeing them. So I was like, I need to get away. I need to get far away. I need to get as far away as possible. So the other side of the world seemed like a great idea. So I was in South Korea from the age of 25 to the age of 30. So in those five wow. years, her and I would keep in touch. I would come home from time to time and we'd talk or see each other. And, and what really kept us in touch is that when we were living together, we got a dog. Well, I had a dog. And then when we broke up, I moved into an apartment where I couldn't keep the dog. So she and her family kept the dog. So over all the years that I was in Korea, we would keep in touch about the dog. She would send me pictures. I'd ask how the dog's doing. And then that went on for all those years. And then she got married to that dude. The dude that she, <gasps> yeah, that she was oh dating God. after me. No. She, yeah, she married him, and she was married to him for like two years or something like that. I didn't even know, right? They were married, and then her and I stopped talking. So the whole time that I was in L.A., the first three years that I was in L.A., she was married, and her and I lost touch. So I'm working in L.A. I'm doing stand-up. I'm doing roast battles. I think I'm going to be in L.A. long term because at this point, I was still undefeated at roast battle and making a good name for myself. And it was going okay. I had a job that I liked. I my apartment was okay in Long Beach. You know, I didn't, I didn't like it, but it was suitable. It was better than all the other places I lived. Uh, but it was far, and that shit kind of sucked. But then one day she hits me up and she's telling me that the dog had cancer. He had a tumor, and they were putting him down. And that's why she called me. And then in that conversation, you know, we just kind of started getting to know each other again. And then she told me that she got divorced. And as soon as she told me that she got divorced. I knew that I had to get her back. I knew it. I knew that I have to get my ass to Indiana and get her back. So at the time, I was trying to schedule my uh, one-hour special. And I wasn't sure where I was going to do it. I was like, I might do it in L.A. I might do it in Chicago. Northwest Indiana, maybe. You know, I might do it there. But as soon as I found out she was divorced, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it in Northwest Indiana. And then I came home to film my special. She came to the show to watch me. And then after the show, I just, like, cornered her. And made her, like, be with me. And then it was history ever since then. I just never let her go oh after that. Oh, my God. This, I got chills. What? This is the love story? Yeah, and then you she would to come make... to L.A. And that time it was very, very uh, delicate because I was in L.A. doing my thing. And she was under the impression that I was this, like, playboy in L.A. Because I told her about oh. all the Tinder dating and all the different girlfriends. So she thought that I was just in L.A., trying to be a celebrity, trying to be a playboy. And I wasn't. I really wasn't, but I had to prove that to her, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in the three months before I moved back, her and I were doing a long-distance thing. And we were talking on Skype, and we were talking on the phone, and she would come out to visit. She came out to visit three times. 
and she would stay for like a week and I would be going to work and I, and I'd take her to the comedy store and she saw me roast battle and all that. Uh, and then the, the decision came where, am I going to move home to try to be with her? And she, and originally I was going to move home and live with my sister, but she's like, if you're going to move here and we're going to do this, we got to do it a hundred percent. And I want you to live with me. And she lives here with her son. Her son's 18 now. When I met him, he was five. 18? Yeah. Wow, she looks 18. Right. She's so young looking. She looks beautiful, by the way. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm very happy about that. And uh, so, uh, you know, when she asked me to move in, I knew it. I knew, like, she wants what I want. Everything. The whole nine yards. No looking back. Not 99%. 100% all the way. And I knew it, and she knew it, and we just went for it. And I knew... I always knew, like, if you ask any of my friends when I was in Korea, I would always tell them there was the one that got away, the one that got away, the one girl that I really loved, and it was her. So the fact that I, mm. that, you know, the good Lord gave me another chance, I was not about to fuck it up. I was not going to let her go. And as soon as we moved in together, I already started planning the uh, proposal. And as soon as we got engaged, I was already planning the marriage, like, Wait, 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 wait. How'd you propose? How'd you do it? How'd you do it? Uh, we went to a, a Broadway show in Chicago. It was the Phantom of the Opera, Love Never Dies. So I had Ooh. I called the venue ahead of time, and I'm just like, hey, I want to propose to my, my girlfriend. Can you guys set it up for me at all? Can you give me a mic? Can you give me a room or something? And they were like, no, we don't really do anything like that. What we can do is have somebody under the marquee ready to take pictures for you and i was like okay cool so we get there the show's over i'm fucking nervous like i couldn't even watch the show you know the show's going on and i can barely pay attention to it i'm fucking sweating balls oh my god and then the show's over and we're under the marquee and we're just like talking and then uh the person that's going to take pictures is kind of chilling by the wall pretending like they don't notice us you know and then i was just Mm -hmm. like uh i like went to the person like hey me and my girlfriend want to take a picture can you hold my phone and then uh, they're like, yeah, you know, playing it off, playing it cool. And then I'm, I'm talking to my fiance or my wife now. And I was just like, hey, uh, you know, I love you. And I've always wanted to be with you forever. And, you know, I w- and I start to get down on one knee. And she's so focused on the person about to take a picture of us that she's not even listening to me. I'm starting to go down on one oh, knee. And no. she's like, she's like, what are you doing? Get up, get up. She's going to take a picture. What are you doing? She's like trying to get me to stand up to take this picture. Oh, she didn't, she didn't get it yet. She did not get it. And then I finally got oh, on my knee my and brought gosh. out the w- ring and she just broke down and she was crying and oh. just big hug and kiss. And then, and then the lady was trying to take these pictures, but she, she, we're moving, you know, she's hugging me, she's kissing me. So then we reenacted it so she could take better pictures and it was funny because my fiance or my wife kept looking at the pictures like, no, 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 that doesn't look good. Take other ones. Take other ones. So like ah, the poor <laughs> girl, yeah, the poor girl was standing out there taking pictures of us for like an hour when the, the venue was Aww. closed and everybody was trying to go home, you know. And so it was it was a special little moment. And we got a great picture under the marquee where it says love never dies. And it's like beautiful Chicago night with all the building lights on and we're all dressed wow. up and we look good and. It was really, it was Valentine's Day too. So that was. Oh, it was. Cliche oh, and corny, but it was romantic. Right, right. No, that's great. That's like the best love story I think I've heard. Like, I can't believe this is like a movie. You got to no, make was, a movie out no, of it. No, we, we got our own little notebook story going on. Yeah, this is totally the notebook. What is this? Well, we know it. I mean, that's what makes us so happy. We know that there was, like I told you, there was so many times in our lives where this was not a possibility. There was so many points where this wasn't a possibility. And even at the time, 
when I was in LA and I was telling my friends that I'm going to move home to be with this girl who has a son, people thought I was fucking nuts. They're like, you're, mm-hmm. you're undefeated in roast battle. Jeff Ross knows your name. You're, you're here with us. You're, you're a comic now. Why would you give all that up? And I'm like, you guys don't get it. Like, Comedy is everywhere. I've done comedy in Korea, Thailand, China, Malaysia, Chicago, Indiana. Like you guys think that this is all there is, but it isn't. There's more. There's more. There's so much more. And all my heroes are married. Like Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, they're all married. So it's like there's something to that stability. There's something to taking that off the table. Like, oh, who am I going to be with? Who who am I going to sleep with? Who am I going to give myself to? You can't just keep dating. I mean, I guess you can't. I couldn't, though. You know, I, I never really had that in my character. I never really wanted to be a playboy. I mean, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. When I was in Korea and we were drinking every night, it was a good time being single. But it, it never felt right. You know, it just felt fun. But it wasn't, it wasn't right. Not for me. It felt really uh, like a waste of time. You know, we, uh, us creative people, like creative we we contain so much creative energy that we have to express that it gets depleted and it could get sucked right out of us you know with the wrong people the wrong crowds like running around LA or wherever and not having stability like that drains your creativity Absolutely. you know so I, d- I definitely believe there's something something there to that so i'm looking for my husband where is he <laughs> um, well, keep keep putting yourself out there don't be afraid of it you know what i mean like I'm you, not, you, you have to take the risks and unfortunately dating is a fucking cruel game but it's cruel on both sides i mean men and women are both cruel when it comes to dating you have no, to No, i believe in the i believe in the like just with everything that you know it's the timing and it's when it's meant to be it's like, yeah you gotta I be ready no, yeah and i think it's just giving me time to like develop more as a you know artist as a comic like as a person you know yeah. be able think, to be think of all that you've accomplished that. as a single woman you've accomplished a lot so you got to look at it like maybe you would not have been able to had you been in a serious relationship because those relationships think, also take yeah. up a lot of time and energy oh yeah i think i would have probably given everything away and like instantly because it's like cultural too you know like it's i had to unwind so many cultural beliefs and about you know women's role in yeah, a relationship or just their role in a relationship in a marriage the woman's role and it's changing a lot more now but like my parents my mom was raising us my dad was working like that was the role yeah you know? yeah i mean i don't it's hard to say what's right and wrong as far as raising kids because i don't have any so i don't know but i'm just re- absolutely absolutely <laughs> i can't wait but also, if I never have kids, I think that I would be okay, but I want kids. So does she. We want kids. But, you know, you can't make that shit happen either. You know, that's another thing that happens when it happens. You can mm-hmm. try to force it. You could do the in vitro or whatever, but we're not at that stage yet. You know, we're still trying the old-fashioned way. Are you guys really trying? Yeah, we're trying. Oh, we've my be- God. We've been trying. Oh. So yeah, we're looking forward to that. I mean, it's inevitability the way I see it, and I think, like, it is all about like what what's meant to be, what's meant to happen, and I'm glad that we haven't had any kids yet because we wouldn't have been able to do the things that we've done. Like we've been to Vegas, we've been to LA a couple of times. You know, we've gone on camping trips, we've gone, uh, you know, pretty much get up and go whenever we feel like it. 
which was really important yeah. for the beginning of our relationship when we were reforming that bond. You know, exactly. it took it took a while. It took us this whole two years. We just got married two weeks ago, but up until the day we got married, I would say all of it was necessary. Everything we went through was necessary to get to that point where when I said yes, when I said I do, I had no hesitation, no like, no reservations at yeah, all. Yeah, no reservations at all. Like I felt like ready. Like I, I didn't even need the <coughs> ceremony. I didn't even need any of that pageantry. I was ready to say yes the the morning that I woke up that day. You know what I mean? But Aww. the days leading up to it, we were going through a lot, trying to figure out the little nuanced details of a marriage. You know, it's a lot more than anybody who's never been married thinks. If you've been married, you know that it's a lot. But if you've never been married, you don't realize all the little steps that you got to go through to get that little fucking marriage license piece of paper. Oh, really? Yeah, and you got to, you know, and some of it is super annoying. So if you're sitting next to somebody who you're not sure you want to be with, there's ample opportunity to just be like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> you send that text. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey. Uh, sorry, not, uh, I'm not just coming. Just not that into you. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, just not, not that coming. into you. I'm not, I'm not going forward <laughs> with this. And, and the... I never worried about it. Like, that's something that I think as you're getting married, you worry that those thoughts are going to float into the back of your mind or those thoughts are floating into the back of your partner's mind. But I never worried about that with her. I know she wants to be with me just as much as I want to be with her. And if it wasn't for that, because I'm pretty brave and I'm pretty heartless when it comes to what I want. And I would not, I would not feel any type of way if I didn't want to get married. I would have told her. I would have looked her family mm-hmm. right in the face. I would have looked her son right in the face because I know that's what you should do. You shouldn't marry somebody that you're not sure of. You know what I mean? Definitely. Like, it should... De- yeah, I think maybe that's why my husband out there, future husband, is, like, figuring himself out, getting ready so that when he meets me, he has no doubt. That's exactly no what doubt. you need. You need a guy who's done things with his life that he is proud of you know what i mean yeah not things that he did for his family not things he did for money not things he did for any other reason besides he wanted to do it and it made him happy and because then he can he knows how to make you happy he's got to help you do those things for you you know and Mm -hmm. you're gonna fight you're gonna argue you're not always gonna agree but you got to support each other and you have to communicate a lot like communicate a lot even if that means fighting in front of your family you can't keep that shit bottled up because then you don't really know each other. You got to really know that motherfucker. You got to know him in and out. And the fact that I do stand-up, she knows a lot about me that would have been secrets to most people. Like, if you watch my stand-up, I'm telling all my secrets. So she knows I am who I say I am. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the benefit of dating a comedian. Because it's like, <laughs> you get all of us. You get the dark side, the ugly side, the good side. But she's always told me that. She told me the reason why she loved me in the beginning is because I was so honest. Like, I would be so honest with her. Tell her, like, when I was into it, when I wasn't into it, and mm-hmm. whatever I was doing wrong, anytime I would fuck up, I would just admit it to her, you know? And it just, like, it was easier for me that way. It's always been easier for me to admit when I did something wrong than to try to lie. I've never been a really good liar. Hmm. And I'm also That's not a good, good actor. Same, probably the same problem. I'm not really good at really? acting. Yeah, I'm not good at pretending to be somebody I'm not. I'm just not good at it. I don't like it. It feels weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, then it's... Yes, that's... 
that's not going to work for you. You're not going to get an Oscar anytime no, soon. <laughs> unfortunately not. But I, and that's why I want to be a writer. I'll write and other people can act. I can write a character. But that's why I think I'm afraid of stand-up too. Or I'm sorry, an improv. Because you got to... Excuse me, you got to do a little bit of acting. You know, you got to do a little character development. And Oh, yeah. Well, you know, actually, if, if okay, next time you, you guys come to L.A., I would love to take you to, like, like an improv show, like one of the best ones in town. And you'll see these people, they're not doing weird characters. They're not overplaying things. It is just, like, the wittiest one-liner that breaks the audience. That's or it's like, like do you do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. in improv, there's like a place for everybody's personality. It's just that, like, some people are really great with characters, and they're really good with that, and that's that that's their strength. And then some people are opposite, like they just are good at being the straight man, or they're good at being themselves. They they just be themselves. They some of the best improvisers I've seen that they, they just act. Like themselves. They're Good. just normal. That's, yeah. what I, that's what I'm probably going to gravitate towards. But so I do want to challenge it. myself and try to do some characters and impersonations and stuff like that. Just just to see how it looks. It'll probably be funny, you know? It, it's therapeutic, let me tell you. It's definitely therapeutic to like release like that and be crazy. But um, definitely, like I, th- I could see you being very... like. Like the smart ass, you know? Absolutely. Like that the, that describes me pretty accurately. Yeah, like you'd come out there with like a good one liner and like kill it, you know, like but you're just being yourself. And I think that's the secret of improv. You have to be yourself. I or a secret it. to that's anything. Cool. Stand up too, you know. It's like I I don't I don't I'm not I don't gravitate to the stand up that they're not them like they seem like they're putting an act on. No, I agree, me too. You know, I like when it's like they they are the same way they are if you were to meet them off the stage. Yeah, that's what I've always aimed at. I always aimed at being pretty pretty linear as far as my personality on stage and off stage where you you if you mm-hmm. see me on stage, you can predict how I am off stage and it's pretty pretty dead on, pretty spot on. Uh, and I've worked really hard at that. Like I've really tailored my material to match my offstage personality just because I, I want people to, to know that I'm not full of shit, that I'm not up mm-hmm. there just telling jokes. I'm up there revealing my soul. And, yes, and that's, that's what, how it feels. That's what people that's like what... about me. People come yeah. up to me after shows all the time and they're just like, wow, you were so funny. You were so great. We loved your act so much. And all I really did was be honest. Yes, I put some jokes in there and I wrote those jokes, but I didn't write that feeling, that feeling is authentic. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what people relate. And I really, and I, I, because those are the kind of comedians I like. I like the Dave Chappelle's, the 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 guys that are just up there, kind of just talking, you know, kind of just a little lecture with jokes sprinkled in there. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what makes me a good teacher too. I'm teaching high school right now, and that's pretty much oh, all yeah? I do. Yeah, I teach juniors and seniors. I teach English language arts and AP psychology. What? What? Yeah. What? Check you out. Like, you're AP teacher? I'm an AP teacher. It's wild. Damn, that's like college level. Yeah, it's wild. Academics. Like, and I love the challenge. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm gifted ability of reading and writing. Like, I can say that honestly without feeling like I'm patting myself on the back. Like, I've always 
been really good at reading and writing and for me to teach young people it's not so hard for me to make them understand like if you have high reading comprehension you can figure anything out if you're good at reading and writing you can teach yourself anything and uh, that's something that they don't hear often enough that these kids are just so beyond reading and writing because of the fucking internet and the computers and the text messaging that they don't realize like that's not how contracts work that's not how instructions work that's not how yes you could watch a youtube tutorial i understand that that's newer but if you want to learn psychology it's going to be a lot harder to learn it from a youtube video than it is from picking up a book um, True. Oh my it's God, gonna be harder but i'm sure in, in the future i'm sure it'll change it's gonna be all virtual reality or some shit i don't know what I would have been a horrible student right now. Be, like, like if I was a student right now in high school or college, like I have not picked up a book. I've bought books. They're just <laughs> sitting here. Oh, I swear I, got I bought so many books that I'm like excited to read, but I have not picked up. Like, th- like the books that I have are from my New Year's resolutions two years ago. To that read. I still to read. <laughs> And I still haven't opened them, and it's like, it's really hard to read these days. It is. No, you're preaching to the choir. Like, if it wasn't for me being a teacher that forces me to read, I would not, I have not, I never read except for, like, on airplanes, maybe, or, like, I don't know, like, a good comedy book. But even even then, I can't even tell you what books I read before this. No, that's not true. I would read a book every now and then, but it's definitely hard for me, too. So I imagine if it's hard for me, it's hard for everybody. Hard yeah. for a lot of people, uh, but I do want to uh, go back to one thing. You know, what I was really curious about is how did you get into Marty's? And for people that don't know, can you tell us about Marty's a little bit? Because you know more about it than I do. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so it, it was a friend. Like I was in the open mic scene, you know, doing the regulars, regular places like Next Stage, and you know, um, now that closed down too. Yeah, I heard that too. Uh, and. And it was so one of the comics who was like, if you really want to, if you're really serious about comedy and you really want to work your comedy, you got to go to this place called Marty's. And I'm like, ooh, okay, wow, I was really excited. New place, this sounds intimidating, but it was exciting. It was like, I'm up for the challenge. And he's like, if you could get laughs in that room, then you know it's funny because people don't laugh. It's the hardest room in L.A. That's that was that was the information I was given. It's a pretty hard room. And I I went there like the naive little girl, like naive little girl going on stage and I didn't care. I did my thing. Marty was always like Marty. He just smiles and looks at you and just like gives you all his attention and he wants to like he's a coach as well so he wants to like help people with their with their sets and he'll give like taglines or punchlines or like ideas here and there and I remember he like wanted to take me under his wing like he was like wanted to coach me he gave me like I I paid him got like uh two sessions with him like he helped me because I I had a show coming up my first show and I never had a set done before, and I basically created my first six-minute set. And who was Marty? He's like a, a was he a comic? I don't even. Yeah, I he met is. him a bunch oh, of times, so, but I didn't know anything about him besides that he ran that place. Yeah, he is a comic, and he does have a lot of um, one-liners that are 
uh, really dark, really dark. I don't know if you ever had a chance to hear him. No, he gave me oh some pointers God. one time, but most of the time he just, like you said, st- stood there, watched me, and smiled, laughed. Yeah, occasionally. he just he just smiles and like he just you know supports all the comedians. Doesn't matter who, your first time there, he supports you as much as if it was your two hundredth time there. Like he, you know, unfortunately closed the place down, but. Um, it was home for a lot of the comedians, you know. It comedians was actually where, lived there, though, right? Like, Jerron yeah, Horton lived there. There were, yeah. It was that guy, like, Alex, I, lived there, too. That Asian dude, Alex. Um, when, I, when I when I'd bring them up, I'd be like, and our resident comic, literally. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, they were literally. And um, comics would rent out space. Um, and he... You know, he uh, did it for a while, and then, uh, you know, it hit its run. I think that it, it, you know, it wasn't as crowded. It wasn't as crowded as it used to be. And I think maybe that had something to do with it. And plus, he wanted to move to Brooklyn. And I think, like, the place, you know, I don't know if the rent... I don't know what it is. There's always politics, right, when they shut down places. Who knows? Who knows what the real reasons are? But, you, but you, I had gone there so many times where there was like the Marlins brothers there. Like, how did that? Ha- the Wayans brothers, I mean. How how did he? Get- I don't know how he got the people he got. I just I don't know how he started. Like with just getting, you know, if it was word of mouth, like because he he wasn't advertising. No, I heard about him from other comics. I heard about Marlins yeah, from like Demar a- Randy. That's who the first person yeah. I went there with. It was it was like more word of mouth, and he used to have two stages. So you'd go, you pay your five dollars, your five dollar dues, and then you would have an opportunity to perform in two stages. So there's a back room, one of the right. rooms he he rents out now, but he had rented out. But for the longest time, that was the stage. Yeah, we used to go back there and just yeah, like yeah, workshop work on mater- workshop. Yeah. It'd be like two guys on the couch and me on stage, and yeah interrupting the set to be like hey you should try this you should try this i'd go there with uh rashid stevens and mm-hmm. fucking oh, man who else man there's so many different people tim mcgory and and we would have some really good times there, just hanging out in the back porch and people would do like sets and then come back to the little hangout and and it was just like a really cool space that i had assumed had been there for a long time had it not been there for a long time do you know anything about the history Oh yeah, I, I I think he ran it for like nine years. I oh think. shit, that is a long time. Um, but you know, he the the cool thing is that it was a gem. It was a place nothing like it in L.A. where you could go every single day, from five o'clock till eleven o'clock at night, every single day, and then except Sundays, Sundays at seven. <laughs> but every single day being open for you to just hang out. You pay your $5 and you could stay there for five, six hours. That that was like part-time homeless shelter, you know? Right, like, right. No, for I'm, a lot of comics, A lot of guys were hanging like, out there just because they had nowhere else to go. They had nowhere else to go, but, like, they made friends. It was a community. And, um, you know, you smoke, chill, go up, perform, not go up. A lot of times I would see comics not even wanting to go up and perform. They'd come just go hang out. Yeah, I did that a couple times. A couple times I'd go there and, like, I wanted to go up, but there'd be, like, nobody in the room besides Marty. So I'd just be like, fuck that. I'll stay back here and smoke blunts. 
Yeah, so it started becoming like that a little bit more, like less people showing up or I don't know if it was just like competitive with other venues that were running the same times that I was like Thursday nights was my night and it started I think people just didn't like bit. paying the $5. I think that was that a big part be, of that, it. That that could be it too cuz there's other places that people could go and I get it like you know there's more open mics that were around like I think more open mics started popping up. And yeah. um but it's 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 crazy next stage also closed down Marty's closed down they're right down the street from each other. Yeah. That used to be a nice run where I could do Mel's yeah. And Big Wangs and yeah. Next Stage and Barubians, two stages next to each other, and Marty's and the Comedy Store and the Improv. And you can do, like, so many. And they were all in close distance to each other. Um, those are those are the best nights, though, when I could run around with a car full of dudes and chicks and just hit up as many open mics as possible. I was with you guys. I was hanging out with you guys. I was, like, yeah. I felt like one of the, one of the guys, you know, like... It would be fun. Like I remember me and Kenny Lyon, you know, just we would we would just float from mic to mic and uh and he was like my smoking buddy too. You yeah, know? shout so out to Kenny, like, man. There's so much yeah, negativity around that Kenny. dude. But I love that motherfucker. He was one of the most encouraging people. Like he was so encouraging to me. He was always he has, there for me. Like every time yeah. he would get in trouble, he was still like he and I never changed our relationship. No matter how much yeah. trouble he got into. I always loved that dude. And he I'm trying to get him on the podcast, but he don't ever reply to me. He'll reply to me over oh, some really? dumb shit, but he won't reply to me if I ask him to do the podcast. But I'm gonna get him on yeah. it. I got a life goal to get Kenny Lyon on my that podcast. That would be fun. That would be a funny podcast for sure. Like he could rift. Like, yeah, no he's other, a wild. He's a wild dude. Yeah, yeah, he has a lot of heart. Yeah, he does passion. big ass heart. And now he works with kids, and I'm like, man, that's that's pretty fitting. Because if you don't know him, and you only know him from his online persona, you're gonna think he's this like terrible monster, but he isn't. Right. He's just a kid, really. He's just a young he's dude. He's young. He's yeah. gonna talk about guys in their twenties, isn't he? Like twenty one. He was when I met him. He's probably like twenty five now. Twenty three, twenty five. I don't know, but damn. But when I met him, he was young. like twenty two. He was super young and. Doing yeah, the best he I'm... could, you know, with a shitty start to life, you know? Yeah. So I always appreciate him for that. You know, my whole thing is just treat people with kindness. Like, be kind. Be a decent human being. Like, and, you know, that, 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 that you'll establish those one-on-one relations. You can't judge someone off of, like, their social media alone. No, absolutely not. Especially if when you're in If they treat you with respect. Yeah, especially when you're in. But when, you know, they treat you, like, he's never disrespected me. He's never, you know, been rude or anything. So I respect people who respect me back. You know, I right. treat, that, treat people with kindness, get it back. We're cool. Right. Um, but unfortunately I don't get, a, I don't see a lot of kindness in, in, in LA. That's the, yeah, I, I saw a lot of fake kindness, you know, like yeah. the difference between the way people treated me in the beginning and the way people started treating me after I was winning roast battles was kind of shocking and sad to me. It's like, man, I don't know who my real friends are. You know what I mean? Like, and that was just uh-huh. too much for me to deal with at the age of 32. I'm like, 32? Right. I don't need fucking fake friends no more. I had them. I had them in high school. I had them in college. I had them in Korea. I don't need that shit anymore. No it doesn't, new friends. No new no friends. No new friends. <laughs> I need my day ones. My day ones. Yeah. 
<laughs> so when that shit happened, and I, I'm telling you, and I tell the story so many times, I had a show at the comedy store in the main room, and I invited all my friends, and none of them showed up. It was my birthday show. I was so excited. Uh-huh. Like 50 people said they were coming on the little event invite. And even people that told me they couldn't come because they didn't have money, I bought them tickets and they still didn't Damn. show up. Oh, and that's I was, fucked up. Yeah, so I knew at that moment, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of this town. Like, I do not know who my real friends are. I got to get out of here. The only person that showed up was Caesar, but he showed up so late that I already was done. I was already off the stage. But at least he oh. tried. Oh, and this was your birthday show? It was my birthday show. And oh, it was super sucks. sad. I was super heartbroken. And it made me sick. Like, I got physically sick after that because I was so s- stressed. I was like, yeah. what am I doing here? Why am I by myself? Like, I'm alone. And I'm 32, and I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be alone. So I was like, I got to figure this shit out. I got to get out of here. And then opportunity presented itself not too long later. Like, a year later, I was gone. I know you got up and left. I was just like, what, what, what? What happened? Yeah, it was um, per- perfect but- timing, really. I'm glad that I left on a high note. You know, when comedy was going well for me and the roast battle was going well and I was getting booked on some really great shows and I was like, this feels great, but I'm still alone. No matter how many roast battles I won, I would still go to my little Long Beach apartment and stare at the wall and be like, this is not fun when you don't have anybody to share it with, you know? Aw, that's so sweet. So here I am, back home, Chicago, second city, Let's see how this goes. This is my new this is my new uh, chapter, my next chapter. Married that, second city guy. You you I'm telling you, I can't wait to talk to you in a year from now just to reflect like just to reflect on your second city journey because yeah, I, I know wait. you're gonna love it. I think you're gonna love it. Yeah, we'll do there's a part so two. Many, there there's so many um opportunities like different cl- like the classes that they have are so diverse. Yeah, I'm taking three classes. I'm taking stand up, writing and improv. So I'm really trying to like immerse myself in that second city culture. Which writing class like what kind of writing is it sketch writing? Uh, sketch or? writing. Oh, okay, cool. That's fun and it's it's challenging. I bet. Cuz every week you need to create a new sketch off of the theme that they you know that they're going to oh, teach you. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm going to be working full time and taking those three classes and in a brand new marriage. So I'm like, I know that I'm going to be burning the candle at both ends. But I, I know in the times of my life where comedy is a huge percentage of my focus is when my comedy is at its best. When I'm forced mm-hmm. to think comically at all times, no matter what I'm doing, whether yeah. I'm talking to my wife or teaching my students, I'm thinking about how could this turn into a joke or a sketch or a bit. Oh, Totally. That's exactly how I live my life. Like the, the, the perspective I have on everything that happens to me is about how can I make this funny? Like when bad shit happens, sad shit happens, anything. I'm like weird shit happens. I'm just like, okay, where's the funny in this? Where's the joke in this? Where's the sarcasm in this? Or like, you know, what, how can I make this how can I turn this around so I could even feel better about myself right now? Yeah, but that's our duty. And I think now that I'm <coughs> teaching the youth, and I work at a, a super ghetto school. Let me mention that. I work at a Gary Lighthouse Charter School at Gary, Indiana, which is one of the worst cities in the country. And at a charter school where the worst kids go, they love my positivity. Even in my smartassness, like I'm a smartass with them because they're mm-hmm. a bunch of assholes because they're teenagers. Uh, but they love it. They eat it up. They respect me for it. And it, the one thing that they see is no matter how bad it gets, I can always spin it to be funny. 
Like if mm-hmm. I'm arguing with a kid or if I'm arguing with the administration or if I'm just having a hard day, like me being a smart ass is a joke. You know, yeah, it might be a, a shitty joke or with a negative connotation, but it's still a joke. So I, the kids laugh and that's how they are. They're smart asses. They're sarcastic. They're mm-hmm. always, you know, in a bad mood. So my sarcasm can take them out of that. And I'm like, yeah. man, this is such a useful tool for when people are in a bad mood. That's what comedy's for. I can change your bad mood. Who else can do that besides your dog and your priest? You know what I mean? Or your mother. (laughs) Like really turn around, turn that frown upside down. I can do that for you. But it's a skill that you have to practice. It's not, it's not, it gets, even if you're good at it, you can always be better at it if you practice. Just imagine how many things happen to you in a day. Every single day, new shit is always happening. And it's like, it could be the simplest thing, like the way somebody walked into the elevator today. Like, or, you know, or a thought you just had, you know, that was just about grocery shopping. Right. Or the parking lot. Or, I don't know, just every day there's hundreds of things that are happening if we pay attention and just observe that's just it. it that's just it you got to keep your fucking eyes open and that's what yeah. people that get stuck in a rut stop doing they just start like they just look at the next step in front of them and like yeah that's fine you're living in the moment but you also got to take a look around like what other people are experiencing what other people how other people view you you know you have to you have to do that because that's what you're going to write about. You can't just write about your perspective. You got to write about how your perspective is relevant or relatable. And that means you got to understand other people. Right. Ellen DeGeneres, relatable. Relatable. Joe Rogan, relatable. I mean, like, I think he, he has such a universal audience. Like, yeah. Um, that's that. I think that's a secret to comedy is trying to have a universal audience. Be yeah, relatable. You, Right, I want I want everybody to be able to at least be like, okay, that's funny. Maybe not my style, maybe not my cup of tea, but it's funny. Yeah, like even my 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 you know a lot of my bits like that I do on stage is about being Persian Jewish, and you know even that's limiting. It's so limiting. I thought in you know starting out that was pretty pretty good to start out with. But then even now, it's like, it's not as relatable as talking about being single in my 30s <laughs> or, you know, uh, dating experiences or whatever it is that's happening to me. No, you you're know? right. I, I, uh, I went to L.A. with very few Mexican jokes, very few, because I never wanted to be the Mexican comic. But then mm-hmm. I went to uh, Flappers and they invited me to do like a Latino night. And I told the booker, I'm like, hey, I don't really have that much Latino material. And he's like you're a comedian, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and you're Mexican? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, maybe you should write some. And I was like, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> I think that's a good point because uh, it is something that you probably are going to be asked to talk about at some point in your comedy career. Uh, and so you should probably have some jokes about it. So I was like, yeah, you're right. So then I wrote a bunch of jokes and then I did that Latino show and it went really well. And I'm like, oh shit, that was such good advice because now I can perform for my people and mm-hmm. and make them laugh with some real shit. You know, I didn't write the jokes to be the Mexican guy. I wrote the jokes yeah. to make the crowd laugh. So it's like, okay, it is useful. So you should write some Persian Jewish jokes. You know what I mean? Just to get it off your chest and to relate to your people. So I, I think I did it the opposite. So I started off with all the Persian Jewish jokes, and now I'm like, 
oh, okay, like I'm tired of all these jokes now because I've been doing it over and over again. But at least you have them, so it's good. Yeah, so it's my back. So now it's kind of like the back. I I can't wait to perform for an all Persian audience. Like I'm dying to perform for like I just want to do like an all Persian crowd because that's where it's where it's really gonna resonate. It's gonna. Do you know really any other hit. Persian comics? I can't think of any. Oh yeah, like Maz Jabrani. Maz Jabrani, uh, I was gonna say that, and I opened for him once, and he's Max so Mini. fucking cool. I opened for him, I opened for him too. He is so nice. He's so, so nice. Cool. Yeah. He is so nice, but it wasn't a Persian crowd. Oh no, it was and, like a regular. Yeah, it was at the comedy store, but it was like just regular. It was just yeah, it was like five Persians in the audience. Um, but it, it, I'm talking about when he like does shows where he, it's his own tour. You know, yeah. he's he goes and he sells out tickets. Yeah, you should look into it. I mean, find some other yeah. Persian comics and try to put on your own show. I mean, I know those. Uh, I I know it's those like, Indian it's like, girls. Who's it? Fizza and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The they did and their Palan, own thing. Palavi yeah. and who's the other girl? And yeah, they started Palavi, doing their facial yeah. recognition. Right. Comedy. Yeah, that took off. That took off. Yeah. The good thing for is, them. I don't. I'm. I, see, I'm not friends with like other Persian. Girl, comment. I think I only know one or one or two. You gotta um, go find but them. Yeah, it's like yeah. That's a that's a, that's the 2019. Is a, is I have to, I have to uh, revamp my like social life because I'm I've been a little antisocial this past year. Yeah, well, you deserve um, it. You're not. You know, you're, you know what I mean. You're not a teenager. You get time to yourself is important at our age. You listen, gotta reflect. This, I don't think I've loved sleeping more than I've ever. Like, well, I'm, I'm glad you said it because I'm fucking thing. tired. It's 12:30 uh-huh. right now, and I'm gonna have oh, to cut shit. this short so I can get some sleep because I got shit to do tomorrow morning. See, when but, you uh, said you gotta go, you gotta go. Text, I'm fucking tired. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> no, you know. Going back to the text. I'm, I'm just not that into this conversation. Right, I'm just not into this. <laughs> I gotta go now. Bye. <laughs> I'll send you a shitty text later. Well, I do want to uh, wrap it up. And but I do, uh, you know, really appreciate you being here. Glad that you said yes right away and you were excited about it. It always makes me happy. And I do think that people are going to be interested in our conversation because of the, the duality of the improv and the stand up. And then, you know, the two cities, the L.A. and Chicago second city thing. I think a lot of people are really interested in that. I think a lot of people want to try stand up and want to try improv. So when they hear stories like ours, they're going to be more likely to try. People need that Look, little push. Let me push. tell you, they are, you know, like there is like, improvisers who are intimidated by stand-up and there's stand-up who's like they're intimidated by improv or they think that it's like doesn't mix, like it's oil and water, doesn't mix. I used to but think I that. But I think that it, it's so complimentary. I don't know anything that could be more complimentary than... Um, than doing stand-up and improv together because they they help each other out. The skills you learn in improv is going to make you a better stand-up. The skills you learn in stand-up is going to make you better in improv. They go hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, it, I mean, it's such a mental also, like, yeah, you're not thinking when you're doing improv, but it is waking up all these muscles in your brain. Like, and that's what witty, it is. Yeah, the wittiness, like you're working like all these muscles. Yeah, your um, comedy, that you're not your aware comedy of. has to be strong, and that's why you. That's why I did roast battle. That's why I'm doing improv. That's why I, I want to do roast battle. I want to do roast battle. It's just so a different bad. comedy muscle, and the more yeah. comedy muscles you have, the better you're gonna be, and people are gonna notice. I think people hopefully will notice the change after I do these sessions, these classes. 
Oh my uh, god, I can't wait. You got to let me know how it goes. Absolutely. I can't wait you'll, to hear about it. You'll be back on the podcast. Uh so anything yeah. you want to you want to plug any shows you got coming up before before I let you go? Uh no. <laughs> I don't any, have anything. Any I social media don't. people can find but you and follow media, you. Social media, you guys, I um I'm always every single day posting jokes and and memes and funny stuff. So follow me on Instagram at Kat Dakari, K-A-T-D-E-K-A-R-I. On Twitter and Instagram, that's my handle. And then on Facebook, it's Kat Dakari Zoggy. So you could add me as a friend. Cool. And yeah. we can be friends. So we can be friends. So. Excellent. And you guys can find the Pet Peeves Podcast on Instagram at Pet Peeves Podcast, on Twitter at Pet Peeves Pod. You can find the Peppy's podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Some other platforms, too, that I'll post to randomly. Uh, you can follow me, Albert Escobedo, on Instagram, at Albert Escobedo. On Twitter, at Albert M. Escobedo. Email me if you would like to be a guest on the Pet Peeves podcast. Pet Peeves podcast at gmail.com. Facebook, Albert Mora Escobedo. Uh, and that's all I got. Thank you for being here. Really, really happy. Uh, this was a great podcast, and uh, we'll do another one. You know, keep in touch. I'm going to do a part two.